Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily and today we have the pleasure of having Kent Julian with us. Now, Kent is a lot of things, a family man, a speaker, an entrepreneur, an author, a swim coach. In everything he does, his overarching theme is to lead by serving. That's why he's so committed to empowering teens to show up and shine in their lives and leadership as well. As a youth expert, Kent's leadership background with students is extensive. Early in his career, he led several youth programs, including the largest of its kind in his state. He then served as the National Director of Alliance Youth, an organization that works with 2,000 youth groups across the country. Even his master's degree dissertation was on youth development and how organizations can better equip the next generation for effective service and leadership. Yet Kent strives to be more than just another youth expert. He is personally committed to walk his talk and show up and shine in the way he lives, works, and leads. So welcome, Kent Julian. How are you? I'm doing great. Yay. So, you know, we're so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I am ready. If I was any more ready, I don't know what I'd do. Okay, but we have to do one more thing. What's that? We gotta fly like an eagle. <laughs> Where did you see me do that? Uh, you know what? I've been looking at some of your presentations to schools, oh, and you just broke out in dance, and it was contagious, and <laughs> especially to us people who can't sing that well. <laughs> I can't sing very well. And I guess you haven't seen the one where I sing, I am the champion, my friends. That's a whole other one I <laughs> yeah, do. Yeah, I have. So this is a podcast for non-singers. <laughs> then I'll fit right in. <laughs> Actually, you've encouraged me, and so I was able to sing that. And that was awesome. Yay, yay. So, Kent, can you share a bit about your journey with us, your leadership journey? Sure. And I'll just give you the cliff note version. I got interested in leadership as a student. And so I was involved in some student organizations. I was a senior class president. I went to college. I went into nonprofit work coming out of college and led student groups, a really small one in the Atlanta area, and then ended up leading a real large middle school and high school student nonprofit group up in Omaha, Nebraska. And that ended up leading to the opportunity to become the national youth director of a, a couple thousand youth ministries across the U.S. And so I did that and really enjoyed it. And about 10 years ago, I, I jumped into the entrepreneurial world, kind of switched total directions and went from nonprofit to a profit-based business. But most of our work is still with middle school and high school students. And during that entire time for uh, 13 seasons, so I did it for a while, then I took a break, and then I did it for a while again. 
I coached a local swim team Mm -hmm. that consisted of young people ages four years old all the way to 18 years old. And the smallest team I coached was about 120 swimmers. And the largest was a little bit over 180 swimmers. And to be honest with you, that was the greatest leadership challenge because you're dealing with all those swimmers, you're dealing with their parents, you're dealing with you know a board, I mean, and you're putting on an event every single week that's attracting, if you swim another team that has 200 swimmers, you're attracting 1,500 people to that event. And there's so many details with food, staging, everything. So interestingly, that little thing I did on the side was some of the greatest leadership lessons I ever learned came from that. And did they come from the little guys? Well, it came from dealing with the little guys, dealing with parents, dealing with other teams, dealing with how competitive people were going to be. My team was always very competitive, but we were also very open to anybody at any level. And so that's one of the reasons my teams ended up getting big was because we would keep people around, not because they were in love with swimming so much. They just were in love with the positive environment and Mm. pushing you to be the best you can be. Sometimes we'd go up against teams that were all they were about were competing. And that was always kind of an interesting thing. Mm. So now you do a lot of work with schools. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I do a lot of work with schools and I do a lot of work with career and technology student organizations. So Future Business Leaders of America, HOSA, FCCLA, DECA, all those organizations. And most of what I do is either keynote speaking or coming in and doing leadership level workshops for students that are in some sort of leadership position, whether it's a student council or whether they're involved in the CTSO, the Career and Technology Student Organization, and they have an executive position with them. And so usually what's really interesting, I'm usually at a conference and I'm doing a keynote and then maybe a couple workshops or we're doing an in-depth you know, one or two day, uh, what I call the ultimate leadership experience, where we're doing a lot of training, hands-on training about uh, leadership and about being the best person you can be, some of those kind of concepts. So as a leadership trainer and coach, how would you describe your leadership style? That's a great question. And what I love about that question is there's quite a few different styles And what I found is I succeed in one type of leadership. I do really, really well, and I do very poorly in another type of leadership. And I actually learned this professionally. The style that really fits me is when I am leading an organization and the people that I am working with are what I would call high potential leaders. They're people who can put a lot on their shoulders. So I lead best through influence versus administration and management. And the place that I really struggled with And one of the places I ended up working for that I didn't do well at and I didn't last there long was when I had to come in and uh, the leadership I was doing was more with what I would call frontline management with people that needed a lot of supervision. I mean, they were quality people. It's just like they had a hard time taking, here's the initiative, here's what we're trying to do and running with them. You had to oversee them all the time. Mm -hmm. I say that kind of leadership is more leadership by management and administration versus leadership by influence, where you're surrounded by other really high quality leaders 
and they're capable of taking the ball and running with it as well. And it's really interesting. It's not an age thing because some of the people that needed oversight and management the most were some of the older people. And then even if we go back to the swim team example I was using a minute ago, after coaching for two or three years, I was able to really find out here's the high potential young people that could be assistant coaches for me. And these were juniors and seniors in high school and maybe freshmen in college, and they could really run with the ball. And so the way that my swim teams would end up having anywhere from uh, five up to probably 12 or 13 assistant coaches and junior coaches, and uh, they were very capable of picking up the ball and running with it. So when I was at a place long enough and I had a chance to invest over time, I really figured out here's the type of leaders I would want to surround myself with that I could influence and they could really run with the balls. And that's the system I did best with. When it broke down to, no, I got to manage day in and day out and I've really got to stay on top of these people and they're not going to run with the ball on themselves, I really don't do well in that system. Yeah, micromanaging and high and intense oversight is extremely exhausting. (laughs) It is extremely (laughs) exhausting. And what happens is sometimes it's our own fault. Like that's what happened in the one place with me is I surrounded myself with, with those people and I allowed people that were really, they really weren't leaders to end up being in leadership positions. And Mm. and that was my fault. So you said something interesting, and it's about the ages and the generations, um, because I know the millennials get a bad rap. But in this case, you did better with the younger generation, correct? The point I was trying to make there is it didn't really matter what age, like some people will say, well, it's, you know, it's people that don't have a lot of experience that you have to micromanage. And I would disagree. I go, no, it's the leader themselves. It's whether they're going to pick up the ball and, and really run with it and whether they have high potential that way. So I've seen that in all ages. It's not years of experience that creates that kind of leadership in somebody. It's, it's really more of a, how they're wired and their, their passion for what they're doing and whether they're going to really put a minimum amount in or they're like, no, I'm invested, I'm all in. Would you say it's more like um, an emotional maturity Yeah, that's probably a good way to say it. I think, too, it's just kind of enthusiasm about life. And it is a giftedness thing. It's someone who can hear what you're articulating and see it and run with it. It's also someone who manages themselves well, who doesn't need someone else to manage them. I've never been that way. Early, early on uh, in my career, you know, I was picking up the ball and running with it. And that's back in my very, very early 20s. So, mm-hmm. All right, great. Thank you for that. Now, can you tell us which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? I'm going to give you one. And I heard it years ago. I don't know who said it. And I've actually shaped it to say it my own way. So it's not original with me. But the way I say it is original with me. <laughs> so uh, it's a Kent Julian quote. It's a Kent Julian heard it somewhere, and then he ended up shaping it to fit himself. But it's not original with me. But I love this quote. What we believe in is evidenced by the steps we take, not just by the words we say. Mm-hmm. And I just think that summarizes everything. Leadership's not about talking a good talk. It's about walking a good walk. Oh, I love that. Blue. You did a good job there. Thank you. you. (laughs) Tweaking that puppy. (laughs) So um, what type of leader are you inspired by and why? 
again, I'm inspired by people who have high potential and people who lead by influence. So I don't do well when I am in a situation where the leader above me is a micromanager or Hmm. who believes there's only one right way to do something. I really want a leader that says, you know, here's what we're trying to accomplish and sets the vision and sets the goal. And you're being held accountable by your results. I absolutely love that. Mm-hmm. I thrive in that. Now, I'm not a teacher, but I work with a lot of students. My wife is a kindergarten teacher and her entire class every year are ESOL students. So they come in and none of them are speaking English. And not only are they not speaking English, you know, they don't have a lot of the basic skills in their own language. They don't know colors. They don't know numbers. They might know a letter or two. And if her leader who was overseeing her said, you have to do it exactly this way and you have to have them to this point by this month, if they did that, I don't think she would be able to succeed. But she knows by the end of the year, I've got to get all these kids to grade level and I've got to get them all speaking English. And she does it every single year because she's learned how they do that. So she's responding to here's the results I'm going to be held accountable for. And she's really learned there's not one way to skin that cat. And so when you're working with ESOL students, she can't do it like all the other kindergarten mm-hmm. teachers are doing. So that's the kind of leader that inspires me. Yeah, he or she gives her the freedom to create, to be flexible because she's meeting the needs of those kids and they're all different. So that's wonderful. The thing that I love is when you know the results that are expected and you're going to be held accountable for those results. That's what I love. If it's just, hey, you can do whatever. I'm not into that. But if they're saying, hey, here's what we're shooting for. You know, you figure it out. You work with it on your team. I'm here to Mm -hmm. serve you, help you make that happen. Uh, But I'm going to hold you accountable for this. That just inspires me. So you work best when the expectation is clear to you. Absolutely. Yeah, me too. I don't need to be micromanaged, but I need to know what the expectations are. So I I get that. Yeah. So tell us, Kent, what's the best advice you've ever received? Best advice I've ever received as a leader or just best advice in general? Well, what would be best for our listeners to hear? Well, that quote, the reason I I share that and it means so much to me is because I think early on I could talk a really good talk, but I didn't always back it up. Mm. And so I know I was challenged. I don't know if anybody ever gave me advice, but I was kind of challenged. Hey, you need to actually live out what you say you believe. And so I was challenged with that early on in several different ways and just realized you know, your greatest strength taken to an extreme becomes a weakness. And when, and especially when we're young, often our greatest strengths are taken to an extreme. So I'm an extroverted guy, lots of confidence, that kind of stuff. Taken to an extreme, it's a big talker who's cocky, who can't back up the talk. And so I just had mentors early on from teachers, a basketball coach, mentors and men that I really respected in my life just kind of call me out on those things consistently. And over time, I feel like that strength isn't on steroids anymore. It's not a weakness anymore. It's actually a strength where I am living out to the best of my ability. I obviously make a mistake from time to time, Mm -hmm. but I am living out what I say I believe in and I'm backing up my words with my walk. So that's probably it, the best advice. 
So you're living in integrity. And I love that, Kent, because one, you shared with us what your weakness was at one time and the struggle that you had, but you also had people speak into your life. And the fact that you listened, that's big. Because when we don't live in integrity, we hurt a lot of people as leaders. Absolutely. So you've told us about how you've coached swim teams. And as far as leadership is concerned, what does it mean to have a good team and how would you build one or sustain one? There's so many things that you could say about what it means to have a good team. The thing that I love about any time when I'm doing anything with teams, this is not just swim team, but when I was leading these nonprofit organizations, the organization I worked with in Omaha, we would work with 400 to 600 students a week, just depending on the week. And when I think about a team and what makes a good team, there's a number of things. One is you're really trying to bring out the best in people. So you're accepting people for who they are, but you're not creating a condition to where people can be comfortable staying where they are, Mm -hmm. that your team is helping people grow and that the people who are growing and are trying to become the best that they can be, the best versions of themselves, there's a lot of grace if people you know, make mistakes or mess up. But the people who feel most comfortable in that organization are people who are moving forward, becoming the best they can be, who are developing as individuals. And the people who actually feel the least comfortable in your organization are the wet blankets, are the people who are involved for the wrong reasons or aren't passionate about things. There's an educator who's a speaker named Todd Whitaker, Mm -hmm. and uh, he's phenomenal communicator, someone I have a lot of respect for. And he wrote a book called What Great Teachers Do Differently and What Great Administrators Do Differently. And one of the things that I've always remembered from the book, for instance, if you're on staff as an educator and you have a staff meeting and a a teacher and staff meeting, Mm -hmm. who's the most comfortable in that room? Is it the people who are the troublemakers and the, the ones who are always fighting the agenda? Or is it the people who are actually trying to implement what that school's all about? And you know you're doing a great job as a leader when the most comfortable people at your school or at whatever organizations you're leading are the model people that you want. So I always wanted to make The students on my swim teams or in my organizations who were growing and and moving forward and becoming the best people they can be, I always wanted them to feel absolutely the most comfortable in Mm -hmm. our organization and feel like, hey, this is a great place. I'm accepted for who I am. And the people who I really wanted to feel uncomfortable were the people who didn't have that attitude. I want them to go, I don't know if this is the right place for me or not. That's what I think it means to have a good team. Are your good team members the ones who you're championing the most? Mm-hmm. You mentioned people who were wet blankets. And so what that triggered for me were all these memories or, or thoughts of people who had potential or had passion at one time and something happened. And this happens often in education. Yeah, you're going to have those people who are wet blankets who will never change. But then there are those who could possibly. What advice could you tell us about when we have some of those in a team? Yeah, and that's a hard one because that's such a judgment call at times Mm -hmm. because I always used to say this, and it's probably easier to do this with students than it is uh, with adults, but I'll still say this to adults. We would set up this thing with students called the four fence post of personal responsibility. 
So you can't control the events, the circumstances. You can't control what this person's going to say about you. You can't control what this person does to you. All you can control are these four things that you're 100% in control of. And we said they were your actions, your associations, and that's your friends who you choose to hang out with, your attitudes, and your articulation, what you say. So we had four A's that you're 100% in control of. Mm -hmm. And we would tell them those four areas, they like make fence posts. And you've got all kinds of freedom inside those fence posts. You can do whatever you want as long as you're 100% responsible for those four areas. And guess what? The more you continue to be 100% responsible and do the right things with your actions, your attitude, your articulations, and your associations, those fence posts are just going to grow wider and wider and wider. And you're going to have more opportunity and more things come your way because you're always free inside those fence posts and you're just going to get more and more of it. Mm -hmm. However, if something happens and you have a poor attitude, if something, somebody does something to you and your actions are to fight back or to get into a fight or whatever, and it's, mm -hmm. uh, you choose to hang out with people who are going to pull you down, you, you know, your articulation is always negative, is always anti this, anti that, then what happens is those fence posts is they shrink and they shrink and they shrink. And guess what? You still have freedom inside those fence posts, but it doesn't feel like freedom because mm -hmm. so much space has been taken away from you. So when you say, how do you work with those people who, hey, they, at one time they had a good attitude and they became wet blankets, I would put it back on them. And they would always try to say, well, well, this happened or this happened. I go, you can't control that. Mm -hmm. The only thing you can control is you. So how can you best respond to that? And we would just put it back in their corner and talk that kind of language. And we talked the four fence posts of 100% responsibility all the time. And to me, it made it really clear that at any time you can choose, no matter what's happening to you, you can choose to be growing in these four areas. Yeah. Well, I think that will work with any age. <laughs> that advice, if taken. If could, taken. Yes, if taken. <laughs> if taken. That's the key. <laughs> and, that, and I would always say this. This is how I would, as a leader, how I dealt with this. Because there's some people, it doesn't matter. They're never going to respond to that well. And so I would always say, I'm actually, even the people don't respond to this well, I'm actually giving them the greatest gift I could give them, whether they receive it or not. Right. And that's the gift of reality. Reality yeah. is, this is reality. This is what successful people do. It's not that they have everything go their way or all the circumstances go their way. It's that no matter what comes their way, they take 100% ownership of their lives. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to help everybody be successful. And if they choose to receive that, or not is up to them. And I could still walk away, even if they're continuing to be wet blankets. So for instance, there were swimmers that I would have to remove from our swim team because they could not stay within the four fence posts of responsibility. And it was hurting the team. It was hurting other team members. It was causing all kinds of problems. And we would talk with parents. And finally, we'd get to the point where we just go, you know what? You've lost your privilege to be on this swim team. But in all of those conversations, I always felt like I could walk away and say, you know what? I gave them the best gift I could give them. They just chose not to receive it. It was always somebody else's fault. It was always some other circumstances versus them understanding, no, you're not taking responsibility for the things you could take responsibility for. 
Yeah. And that's great because it's best to learn those things when you're young. But we come across adults who haven't taken that responsibility and who've decided not to. And that's where you get the wet blanket. Yep. So, um, Ken, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? Can I tell you about one or do you want to hear about 15? Or okay, 30? so you know what? Whatever you want to share with us. There's been a few. One that really shaped my leadership was I made a career move. I was in a place where the leaders I was working with were high-level leaders, high-potential leaders. They could take the ball and run with it. And then I moved to another place, and it was my choice. It wasn't a bad place. This was in my early 30s. I was so cocky and felt like I had such great leadership gifts that I really didn't think deeply about the new team I was going to be working with. It was a bigger team. It seemed like there was more potential there. And I walked in, and every single employee that I was overseeing needed high-level management. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just sunk me. And that's where I really learned what kind of leader I am and really learned the difference between leading by influence versus leading by management and administration. Uh, So I learned a really valuable lesson. Boy, did I learn it the hard way. I, Mm -hmm. I went to that place and it was just a bad fit for me. I didn't serve well there. They didn't feel like I served well there. I mean, it was a big mess. And I look at it and I go, it wasn't the organization's fault. It was my fault. I should have read that situation so much better. Mm-hmm. But then you wouldn't know what you know now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always say, though, I wish I could have learned it a different way or I wish I would have had my eyes open because I do feel like I went into a place and let the leadership team that hired me, I let them down, you know, the students that I was investing and in. I was only there for about a year or so. That's not even enough time for them to really get to know me. So it was disappointing Mm -hmm. that I had to learn the lesson that way when I felt like I ended up damaging or hurting relationships and, if anything, creating more confusion there. But you know what's good that I see that came out of that is that um, now you know how to lead in a different way. You know how to lead better. You also know where you thrive. You've also experienced poor leadership, right? When we don't know ourselves, we don't lead ourselves well. So that's something that you grew in. And, you know, I always look at a challenge or, or a situation like that as something that is valuable, especially when we're humbled, because humility and wisdom go hand in hand. And, and that's not always something we want. And absolutely. it's always a hard thing. And it made you who you are now. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Now, can you tell us about one of your greatest successes and how it has shaped you and the lives of those around you? Yeah, I will say besides marrying my wife. That's a good answer. Yeah, it is. And I and I'm not I'm not just <laughs> saying that. That was a huge accomplishment and it was the best decision of my life. I've got three kids in college right now and we talk a lot about how who you marry really plays a big role mm-hmm. in shaping you. So yeah, so that's one of my greatest successes. But here's what's interesting. Probably my greatest success personally actually came from me being an at-risk child. Now, back then, they they weren't using that label, but they would have used it on me. I was hanging out with the wrong crowd, uh, making really poor grades, had learning challenges. I couldn't read in third grade. And when I graduated high school, uh, my SATs were so low that I could not get into college. I had to take what's called developmental studies 
And depending on, you know, what study you read, I've read a few different studies and it's anywhere from two to 4% of people who have to go through developmental studies, only two to 4% ever go on to get the equivalent of an associate degree or higher. Mm -hmm. So I just had some significant learning challenges. In middle school, when I was an at-risk kid, I got caught doing something that I shouldn't have been doing. And it's very embarrassing, so I don't ever reveal what it was, but Mm -hmm. it was suspendable type. And for some reason, the administration and the teacher showed grace uh, when they didn't need to, and they uh, they didn't suspend me. This is kind of where I learned those four fence posts that I was talking about, and they really taught me, you know what, you're making excuses for yourself. You're not dumb. You just learn a little bit differently, and you could do this. You could do this. And they used sports. I was really into sports back then. But long story short, I, over the years, learned how to compensate and overcome that So much so that even though my SAT scores were really low, um, I still was able to make decent grades in high school. And by the time I got to college, I had over, you know, overcompensated it enough that I graduated college with honors and I went on and got my master's degree and uh, graduated at the very top of my class. I, I often crack jokes that there were there were only two people in my class, but I was at the top. <laughs> <laughs> but I graduated with like a 3.95. That success gave me all kinds of confidence when I was a child. I didn't have any confidence. So it's almost as if in seventh and eighth grade, the path I was on was leading to uh, not a good place at all. Mm-hmm. And I switched paths. And step by step, it led to just the exact opposite direction that I was heading. And so I would say that is the success I'm most proud of. And it's the one that ended up shaping the rest of my life in so many ways. Well, Ken, thank you for sharing that, because I'm sure it resonates with a lot of our listeners. A lot of our listeners are educators. They're um, educational leaders. And so... They experience a lot of situations like this where they come across kids that may not be the top level kid. But when we, just like that administrator, believed in you or gave you grace, when we do that, it does a lot for people. Huge. Yeah, I do a lot of keynotes for educators. And it's an inspiring thing because I share that, but I share it near the end of my presentation. And the way I share it, they have no idea I'm talking about myself. Mm. And when it's revealed that that was me and that this administrator, who was also my math teacher and a basketball coach, so he wasn't just an administrator. He was very involved in my life. He's the hero of my life. I mean, to this day, he is the hero of my life. And the whole point is, uh, I say to educators, you have Kent Julians sitting in your classroom. And if you can be a Jim Vaught to those Kent Julians, you are making tremendous life change. And the Kent Julians have to pick up the ball and run with it. But often all they need is that one educator. He saw me as an at potential guy. Wow, I love that. Yeah, he didn't see an at risk kid. He saw an at potential kid. And uh, he just really invested in me and he just knew how to challenge me. And so what ended up happening, again, he used sports for me, but he did this one challenge that he knew I would bite on. And when I saw success in that area because of that, 
then he turned it around towards education. He goes, the exact same thing can happen in education. You're not a dumb kid. You're, you know, you just learn a little bit differently. And I believed him. You know, I'm a special ed teacher. Awesome. And that's been my passion. I've been in education for over 25 years. And this is the first time I've heard an at potential kid as opposed to an at risk kid. There you go. And I love that. I love that. I may just steal that from you. Oh, you told it. <laughs> I'm hoping more and more educators will be using that. Well, thank you. So, Ken, can you tell us what advice would you give a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture? Wow, that's hard. I mean, because sometimes the climate or culture is discouraging. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I went to a culture that I wasn't a good fit for, one of the best things I did was quickly admit it and figure out a way to transition out Mm -hmm. because I just knew that culture wasn't going to change. And so that might sound like copying out or whatever. And it wasn't even that it was a bad culture. It just wasn't a good culture for me. So I don't really know what to say. I mean, Mm -hmm. in some of those, for me, it has always been either I'm going to fit and be within the culture. First place I worked in Omaha, Nebraska, you know, that culture had some challenges, but it was one that I go, you know what, I can fit here. It's a good place for me. There's really good people here. I can really learn. And instead of fighting the culture, what happened is I embraced the culture and things that within the culture that needed to change, I embraced the culture and then worked on changing it from within the culture instead of always pointing out why the culture was bad. So that's the best way, I think, to change a culture is to change it from within for the leadership culture to say, this guy's a team player. He really wants what's best for us. You know, he's proven himself here. Or she's proven herself here. Mm-hmm. So we should listen to them. But there are some times when you get into a culture and you go, this is not ever going to be a good fit. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to be fighting against it all the time. In those situations, I think it's best for both parties just to move on and find a better fit. And if you're learning along the way, every time you are in a new place, you're learning along the way, you're going to get better and better at being able to read whether a culture is going to be a good fit for you or not. Now, during those times, did you ever have professional coaching? Yeah. Oh, yeah, always. I'm assuming that was really important. Yes. And in fact, here's what's interesting. With the second one that I was explaining where it wasn't a good fit, I was feeling guilty. And I was thinking, I can't just leave here. And one of my coaches said, hey, you're not doing them any favors by (laughs) staying there. You know, if Mm -hmm. it's not a good fit and you've been there already for nine months and you're realizing it's not a good fit and it's never going to be a good fit, they don't need you to suck it up just to be able to make it there for two or three years so that you save face. You know, Mm -hmm. the best thing you can do is admit you made a mistake and move on to something else. So, yes, Mm -hmm. I always have had professional coaching or mentors, I've always uh, invested in people who will help me be a better person and be the best leader I can be. Okay. So, you know, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? Great question. And I love being a lifelong learner. So for me, it means a lot of reading. So I read 20 plus books a year, listen to podcasts every week. So it's a lot of getting information in. It's trying new things. So 
when I'm trying to learn a new skill or when I go, hey, learning how to do this will make me a better leader. It's all those kind of things. For my own business, I'm involved in two different mastermind groups. One's a really small group. We meet twice a month for an hour and just talk through business. And then another one's a much larger group that I meet with on a regular basis of a lot of different professionals that are in different areas. It's like this gigantic resource if I need help with this part of my business or I need help with accounting or I have this kind of question. It's kind of a big brain trust that I can go to and learn those things from. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you listen to podcasts, but you also have one. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes, it's called the Live It Forward Show. And uh, the show is all about how do you move from dream to do. And the concept there is a lot of people dream about things they want in their life, whether it's their personal life, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in their career or their business. And they sit there and they dream and they dream and they think about it, but they never take the steps to doing. And so the whole idea of the Live It Forward show is how do you live it forward into your best life and calling? So we're dealing with a lot of personal development issues. We're dealing with a lot of performance and productivity, but it's not about getting more stuff done. A lot of times when you listen to anything on productivity or performance, it's about how can you get more stuff done? And what we focus on is, I would actually say that's the wrong uh, definition of productivity. Productivity is not about getting more things done. It's about getting what's most important done. We focus on a lot of different things. There's times we talk about family and, and how do you invest best in your family that we've talked about. You know, people want to start their own business. The, the theme, though, is always how do you move from dream to do? How, how do you take these concepts that you really want in life, these big things you really want in life, and how do you move to where you actually do those things? So this is really great stuff. Now, if our listeners wanted to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Well, I actually set up a, um, a web page. I've got two resources that I think would be great for your listeners. There's, there are two concepts. They're what I call Live It Forward resources, and they're totally free. They're just PDFs. One of them is called How to Lead Your Life from Quiet. So that whole concept is basically how do you make sure you're not letting life happen to you, but you're happening to life. And so how do you mm. take some time out on a daily basis to get quiet and just kind of lead your life? So it's a real simple PDF. And then the other one is five empowering choices you can make every single day to be more successful. And they're just real simple. And some of the stuff we've talked about, like one of the choices in there is how do you invest in yourself mm-hmm. you know, on a daily basis? And so the link is liveitforward.com slash master leadership. So oh, li- nice. liveitforward.com slash master leadership. Or if somebody's listening to this and they're driving around, if they just text the word maximize to the number 44222. So you just type in 44222 and you text the word maximize because I call this the maximize two pack is what we call it. Mm -hmm. So if you text the word maximize, it'll just ask you for your email. You give them your email address and boom, it sends both those resources right to you. Great. Thank you. You got it. So Kent, I know that you're an avid reader. So what have you read recently that our listeners should read and why? 
Well, I read this regularly. I haven't, when you say recently, I've been reading this book for 30 years or so, but it's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That would be my number one. Yeah. Yeah. My number one book I would suggest people read. The other book that was a real game changer for me on productivity was called 12 Week Year. It's about how do you focus on what's most important and you don't try to think of setting goals for a year, but you think about setting goals for a real short period of time and those goals should be around the most important things. And they talk about how you can accomplish those things in 12 weeks. It's a phenomenal book. Hmm. And, you know, time management or life management, it's incredibly important because as educators and as leaders in education, there's so much responsibility. And to be able to maximize what we do is extremely important. So this is valuable. Thank you so much for that. Mm, Absolutely. Now, Ken, what do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities you have? What's your daily routine? Uh, Well, that one thing that I said earlier, lead your life from quiet, that is my go-to thing that really focuses my life. Every day we need to lead our lives. And so often what we do is we let life happen to us and we're just responding, responding and responding. So I carve out time. And for me, I do it in the morning. I teach this everywhere. One of my best friends does this at nine o'clock at night. And I always tell him I couldn't do it at nine o'clock at night because I'd get me all jazzed up and I wouldn't be able to go to sleep. You know? <laughs> me too. So I do this in the morning, but I just have this time frame where I focus on leading my life from quiet. And I do different things depending on kind of what day of the week it is. But there's days where I read what I call my live it forward compass, which is a document that talks about what my life's about. It has my purpose statement, things like that, and it has goals in it. So I'll spend one morning, I do that. Other mornings, I'm reading personal development books. Um, I'm setting goals. At the end of the week, I'm reviewing my week and I have a little report card that I go, hey, did I do these things I said were important? And often people hear that kind of stuff and it sounds like it's real regimented. I am not a regimented guy. The concept of lead your life from quiet is that you create time and space to focus on what matters most, to make sure you're saying, okay, I've said my relationship with Kathy, my wife, matters greatly to me and my relationship with my children matters greatly to me. If I'm not careful, I'm going to blink and this week will go by and I won't have done right. anything to invest in those relationships. I've said this thing at work is the highest value thing I can be doing. And if I don't step back and lead my life from a quiet place, I can go a month and never even touch that thing. And so that is my go-to discipline. And that's why when I was reading the questions you were going to ask me, that's why I thought, ooh, I'm going to set this up at that liveitforward.com slash master leadership. Mm-hmm. I was going to set that up as one of the resources because it's just a great way to get in control of your life so that you're happening to life instead of life happening to you. Mm. Well, Kent, we really appreciate that resource. I'm sure it's going to come in really handy. My last question, if you can go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? Uh, I would probably say, because I do this now, but I didn't do it then. You always learn from your mistakes, but it's even wiser to learn from other people's mistakes. Don't always try have to learn things the hard way. Instead, yeah, you're going to make mistakes, but 
have your antennas up to hear other mistakes that you learn from other people that are willing to share them with you. Because I had a lot of people, you know, sharing insights with me and I was going so fast. That'd probably be the second thing I would say would be, and this is directly to me, not to everybody. Some people are very cautious. They move slowly. Mm-hmm. And so if anything, they need to speed up. I'm the other way. I'm going fast all right, the time. Right. <laughs> I need to actually slow down. And uh, the biggest mistakes I've made in my life have been because I've been moving too fast. And again, I get back to marrying Kathy. One of the reasons I have so much respect for her is because she's helped me in a good way slow down a little bit so that I'm not making near as many mistakes because I'm at hyperspeed. I'm still moving fast, but there's a lot more wisdom in the the speed at which I'm going. And I'm willing to slow down realizing, hey, this is a big decision we're making mm-hmm. here. So Right. And I can certainly relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> My husband really thinks through decisions and I'm the opposite. I'm, I'm like, okay, this needs to get done. Let's do it. And so he has certainly taught me and helped me Absolutely. that I can, I can sleep on things. <laughs> and so consequently, I've, I'm wiser about the choices I make. So I can relate to that. Is there anything that we haven't addressed that you'd like to share with our listeners? I was going to say, this is one of the most comprehensive interviews I've been on. So you did great. Well, that's encouraging. Yeah, Yeah, you did phenomenally well. So no, I feel like we've opened up the fire hose and we shot it out. And so there's so much information. Well, Ken, thank you so much for adding value, not just to me, but to our listeners. My absolute pleasure. I loved it. Thank you so much for inviting me. Okay, have a great day. You too. Hello, leaders. Don't forget to go to masterleadership.org to find out how to get a free coaching session from one of the exceptional leaders that are featured on this podcast. Until next time, bye.